Charles, is that that consigned fool again? Would you please turn the radio off or get me a cheese sandwich? But get rid of that consigned fool. Quite a distance away, belong to an order of insects called 
Orthoptera. Now this order includes our grasshoppers, katydids, crickets, and our cockroaches. That's quite true. I did not tell you that the cockroach sings, and he sings damn well. Uh, some nights when it's very quiet in my apartment and the TV is pooped out again, and I'm sitting there contemplating my navel, it is quite encouraging to hear the sounds of the cockroaches quietly singing under the sink. It's a feeling of warmth. And uh, to those of you who do not recognize the song of the cockroach, I can only say you heard it many times but thought that, that the washer had gone bad in the john again. But uh, that's neither here nor there. We have another note here from a lady. She says, uh, Mr. Shepard, uh, uh, she says, uh, have you ever tried to give a false name when questioned? Madam, I don't know what uh, you've been up to lately. Uh, that's an opening line. She says, or does it only happen to me? She says, anytime people ask me my name, I get a complete mental block. Well, Dr. Freud wrote about that. That problem, <laughs> madam. Uh, she says, my name actually is Florence. And in parentheses, she says, often my friends call me Clarence. Well, all right, Florence, or Clarence, as the case may be, depending on your mood at the moment. No, I do not often give a false name, although there was a time once outside of Elyria, Ohio, when I found it expedient not only to give a false name, but to palm myself off as an obscure golfer on the pro circuit of the period. Got away with it, and by God, they never tracked me down. I don't know what happened to that guy who was the golfer. Madam, I would like to salute you tonight. No, we do not have... Here's another uh, note here. This is a rick-rack note here. It says, in Rutherford, New Jersey, there's a store called the Schizophrenia Boutique. Uh, he says, I don't... As a former mental patient, he said, I, I don't know whether I'd like to spend an hour or so in that place browsing. Well, I don't know. This is a current trend of paranoia or the Schizophrenia Boutique. Uh, he goes on to point out, he says, uh, what can we expect next? The Catatonia Cafeteria? The Paranoia pal uh, Parlor? Of course, yes. Much more than that. Uh, there is a very interesting trend in names. Now, the other day, in fact, yesterday, I was in uh, a pleasant city, which calls itself, for one of a better name, Boston. It's a kind of a silly name, but they call it that anyway. And I'm, Boston's got kind of a guttural sound to it. And I'm uh, riding along with a friend of mine, and we noticed that there's an elegant boutique there called the Marquis de Sade Boutique. Well, now, it doesn't take much imagination to sell what, think of what kind of goodies they're sold there at the Marquis de Sade Boutique. However, this opens up a whole new area of naming, and I'm glad you brought it up tonight uh, for, our, uh, for our various listeners. Would you please, uh, Mr. Herb, there, please? Uh, the, the, uh, yes, the, the computer, please. Uh, you'll find it up there. You'll find the the uh, hymn to winter. It's kind of nice. It's a computer singing about the joys of winter. Yes. And uh, I would like to uh, bring that out as an exhibit here. That's exhibit C2 uh, under the file of trivia of our time. Uh, by the way, I would like to also say that the Marquis de Sade Boutique is only the beginning of, uh, of a whole trend in names. I can imagine the Adolf Eichmann Hosiery Boutique. Uh, of course, Mr. Desaad was known for his elegant ties. I suspect that's why they named it that, right? Or would you please, Herb, if you will, please. Thank you. Thank you. You're hearing a very rare recording, friends. So rare that it's rather repulsive. But uh, 
I thought you might like to know that even computers feel a sense of loss when winter comes on. They really do. The computer has become the alter ego of man. He's not the slave of man, nor is man the slave of the computer any more than you're the slave of your ego, or is your ego your slave? Which is it, you know? Mind me? I just thought you'd like to hear this. I'm curious. Someday I'm going to jump up and run in there and see what you're writing. <laughs> Got you right in the middle of it. She works on her book during our show. However, this is a kind of, not yes, an expose of this whole rotten, stinking mess that we're involved in here. Oh, yes, any, any uh, person who is in the public eye must be aware of people around him. They're all making notes, and they all have publisher contracts. There we are, yes. Uh, oh, wait, till, wait, till, uh, wait till Johnny Carson's secretary writes her memoirs. You know, 45 oh. years with, with uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor, or how it really was in the green room, please. You know. This is the sound of a computer producing a piece of music entitled Ode to Winter. So even computers have a soul, friends. And it's in some ways a little more tremulous and nervous than yours. You don't have all those transistors to worry about, which can blow out at any instant. So, you know, it's a congenital problem. <laughs> did you, by the way, thank you, Eric. Did you see, did you see the, uh, hey, before we go any further, I, oh, we might as well bring it out. Let's bring it out to the, to the open here. Uh, let's just bring it out. There's been a lot of people calling all day, so let's get right out in the open with it. That I have had many, many pieces in the past written you know, anybody who's who's uh, done a lot of shows and done things over his career has things written about it. And it's, it's uh, you know, it's kind of, I, I guess I really shouldn't do this, but I must say that, that uh, I was amazed and astounded and a lot of other things, but one of the best, if not the best, single piece that I've ever had written about my work uh, in many different media appeared this morning in the Wall Street Journal. And uh, I, the reason that I'm, I'm talking about this is not to make an issue of it, except that a lot of people have called, and and uh, they uh, there's no way for me to write letters or answer them about this, and a lot of them ask questions about it. And all I can say is that the Wall Street Journal this morning, this morning's paper, it's a very, uh, as you probably are aware, a very influential paper, well, this morning the journal had a, a full-scale, I don't know what to say, it's, a, it's an essay, critique, a commentary on, well, on me, that's all I could say. And uh, this morning how I found out about it was uh, kind of interesting, because I had no idea it was going to appear, <clears throat> that, the, that the reporter who had written the piece spent some time with me in the studio and going places and watching me work and so forth. And a uh, very interesting man and a darn good writer. From I, I had no idea until it came out. He really did his homework because a lot of the quotes from uh, the piece uh, in this morning's Wall Street Journal came from obscure pieces of writing that I had even forgotten that I had written for places like The Village Voice, uh, papers like uh, The Realist, various uh, things like The Lampoon and Grump, <laughs> strange little magazines and newspapers that pass in the night and disappear forever. 
Uh, did any did anybody read it out there? I, I'd like to I'd like to hear from one person who read it this morning. Was astounded when they ran across it. Is there anybody out there listening who read that piece this morning in the Wall Street Journal? Yeah, it's it's curious what happens when you appear in the journal. Odd things occur. Uh, not more than ten minutes after I got in the office, Jerry Lambert was answering the phone and he picked up the phone. Somebody called the office. I don't take phone calls, you see. And he picked up the phone and he said this elegant voice who sounded like a four-putting was at least an ambassador emeritus to the court of St. James. And Cherry said, well, who? Man Shepard, I read about him in the Wall Street Journal Journal this morning, and I must hear that program. Would you please tell me when you're on? And uh, I don't know whether that guy's listening tonight, but <laughs> what the hell's going on? But uh, it was a fascinating piece, and I want to thank him. And it was written by a fine reporter who writes uh, feature work for the journal named W. Stuart Pinkerton, Jr. That's an elegant name for a Wall Street Journal reporter. Wait just a minute. We'll see. We'll get this guy on the phone here. Yeah, hello. I didn't... It wasn't my article. <laughs> no, did, did you read it? Uh, Did you enjoy the piece? Very much. Uh, somebody pointed the article out to me. Yeah, and uh, it was kind of a surprise to you, wasn't it? Yeah, very much. I work on Wall Street, but I don't read the journal. I find it boring. <laughs> well, thank you. This guy, this guy, but as I'm reading the article, I'm predicting what he's going to say about infective... But you were wrong. <laughs> he said a lot of things you didn't predict, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know what you sound like? You sound like a, a dozen, uh, a dozen uh, uh, various uh, brokers that I've had that always knew everything all about everything, and they're all out running used car lots now in Toledo. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm with the herd. I'm with Merrill Lynch, and I just sit and mind my own business. Yeah, but you did enjoy the piece. Very much. Thank you. All right. Yeah, it was strange. Here's another way. Do we just take this one? Yeah, hello. Hi. Uh, wait a minute. I believe a lot of things, friend. That's been my problem. All my life I've been believing stuff. Is he on? How come? Oh, it's the wrong line. You're on the wrong line. Yeah. Hello. Wait a minute. Yeah, what was the story? You're on the IRT this morning. Yeah. Yeah, I like the IRT. Yeah. You were reading the journal on the IRT this morning. That uh, That's right there, a provocative act. Yes. Some guy's looking over your shoulder. Well, that's not unusual in the IRT. He gets off at Times Square, pokes you in the ribs, and says... <laughs> he says, Excelsior, you fathead. <laughs> Did you enjoy the piece? It was a wild piece, wasn't it? Thank you very much. All right. Guy was on the uh, IRT this morning. Hey, you know, speaking of... Uh, I, I didn't want to... If, uh, if you didn't see it, and you're curious about it, uh, don't write to me and ask me for a copy because I'm not the Wall Street Journal. If you're curious, you can probably write the Wall Street Journal, and they do it. Uh, this is WOR New York, and before we do anything else here, we got Kasha, all right? Let's do the Kasha spot. What do you say, friends? Let's see, where is all that stuff about Kasha? Kasha. Every time I hear the name Kasha, I think of a girl I once knew in Toledo, too. Oh, uh, <laughs> Yes, her name was Emily Kasha. Uh, where is it? I don't have any Kasha commercial here. Oh, here it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kasha. Well, for those of you who haven't tried it, I mean, what can you say? It's Kasha. 
and it's one of the oldest foods in the world, and it has, uh, you know, it's one of these health, well, actually, it isn't a health food, but it is healthy, you know, it's one of these things that you get at places like the Russian tea room and all, and it's made of uh, magnificent golden brown buckwheat groats. Now, those of you who have asked me repeatedly what a groat is, I've told you many times what a groat is. Uh, it's been defined many ways. There is one definition of a growth as a short, stout gentleman with a very bad temper. Uh, this is a early European definition of the word growth. Yes, ein Groten is the actual expression. That's the full expression. Ein Groten, or das ist ein Groten Grosse, which means he's certainly a big, fat slob. But uh, that has nothing to do with the kasha that we're discussing here. So tonight, when you go down to the deli, you ask him for Wolf's kasha, Wolf's with two F's, Wolf's Kasha, Kasha spelled with a K, three K's, Wolf's Kasha, the world's oldest unknown health food. No longer can say that because you know about it now. And uh, we have another one. Do you have that uh, little general tire thing here? How about a little, th yeah, here, here. Oh, I like bugles, man. Bring them bugles up. Does the thought of winter driving give you the chills? No need with general winter tires. Dad, you go in snow or general pays the dough. You know how old General is. Yes, sir, he's made Lieutenant General now. Right now, your nearby General Tire Store is offering a pair of famous winter cleat black wall. Snow tires for only 38 bucks, size 650 by 13. Federal excise tax is a little bit extra there. And they have larger sizes also available at comparable prices. This great General Tire has full four plies of Nigen nylon cord on a deep cleat four rib tread that digs and grips. Watch for that big G. Big General Tire G in the store near you. Let's see, we've got a note here. It's a C. Chet Mount at uh, General Tire Service, 400 Rawway Avenue in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Thank you, Chet. That was real nice. You're going snow or to pay the toll. Uh, we also have, uh, let's see, 710. Uh, yes, the W.R. Children's Christmas Fund, Box 710, Times Square Station. If you have not sent in your dough, for the W.R. Children's Christmas Fund, get on the stick. It's getting late, man. Won't be long Christmas. Let's see. Ah, we got them all done, haven't we? One more commercial. You were looking at that girl across from us at the table, weren't you? Ah, come on. No, honestly, you were just a little, weren't you? Well, I guess so. Once or twice, you know. Well, she was very attractive. Do you think her complexion was as nice as mine? No, not a chance. How do you do it? Just soap and water. Really keeps the girl's skin glowing, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Why don't you get a little closer? Just as you say, Tom, darling. Tom? My name's Sid. Yes, available at Acme and Gristidi supermarkets. Let's see. Uh, very exciting. <laughs> hey, that, was a, that was a nice spot. It was on a train. And uh, I, by the way, before I get started on this thing here, I want to warn all of you train cuckoos out there, I am not a train cuckoo. I am not a train cuckoo. I am not, never have been, nor will I ever be interested in trains. So don't immediately send me a lot of material on trains. I'm not interested in trains, I repeat. Have I made that strong enough, Herbert? I do not care for trains. And I'm going to tell you why I do not care for trains. I came from an area of the country where 
the entire town was crisscrossed by 47 million railroad tracks. And I spent, I would say, of my pre-adolescent life, I would say roughly, let's assume from the years 1 to 10, right? I would say that I spent roughly 3.7 years in cars waiting for trains to cross the tracks, you know, in a long line, with the old man getting madder and madder, okay? So you don't learn to love trains under those conditions. Then in my adolescent years, which you would say roughly run from the age of 11 to 18, would you say roughly? Since I spent more time in cars, you know, I was starting to get out and you know, do things, and I borrowed a car from the old man, that kind of jazz. I spent more time in cars. I spent out of that period of time, which was from 11 to 18, roughly uh, seven, eight years, wouldn't you say? I mean, roughly calculated with my instant calculator in my head. I would say that I spent roughly 5.7 years waiting for trains since I spent more time in the car. So I will tell you, trains do not impress me at no point. Did I ever tell you the fantastic moment I saw once in a train? Oh, you know, what I saw happen? Because, you know, here in, in New York, uh, places in the east, uh, railroads generally sort of either go underground or they go up on a big trestle someplace and people don't really see them, you know, they... They're just off in the middle distance someplace. But if you live in a lot of cities in America, and uh, don't think I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about now, friends, 27 trillion freight trains cut through at least a dozen cities that I know of right at this minute. I mean, night and day, night and day, night and day. They're carrying cars, they're carrying beer cans, they're carrying barrels, they're carrying banana skins, they're ca you know, whatever it is they put in trains, millions of trains going night and day. Now, they don't carry passengers, many. Maybe a few cockroaches, maybe a few, uh, you know, maybe a few tarantulas and stuff like that to come in with the bananas. But, uh, I mean, trains night and day, night and day, night and day. Well, after a while, they cease to be uh, romantic. They're only romantic to people who don't have to stay around them much. Just like uh, I've always felt that winter is a romantic concept to people who haven't spent eight hours in it day after day under forced draft. Yeah, you know. So, uh, nevertheless, these trains go night and day, night and day, night and day. And people really get bucked. And no matter what you do, you're driving to any place. You're going to the show, and, you know, the whole family's in the car. The show's at, uh, let's say, 7.32. You know that that's when the show starts. So you say, let's get an early start. Right, Dad? So everybody piles in the car, and you go out at 6.30. you got a, a full hour to get to, the, to get to the movie house, which is only a mile and a half from your house, Right. The car starts to go out. You get out in the street. You start driving. All of a sudden, ding, 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 ding. The man, the old man gets panicked. He's, oh, he's quick, quick, ding, 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 ding. Next thing you know, you can't turn around because a great line of cars, you're trapped. And it just keeps going. Ding, 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 ding. You got to hear that for night and day. Ding, ding, ding. There's little lights, red things going off and down. Ding, 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 ding. And there's a train. See, you go, chum, 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 they blow them horns, see. Oh, that's a sound that sends cold chills up the gut of anybody who's ever tried to get any place in vast areas of the Midwest. Okay, that means get out of the way. Big Daddy is coming. You can... Gigantic double-ended diesel engine, all painted yellow, gold, and orange, goes roaring past. You know, 
These are cars going by. Their line now is extending from Hammond, Indiana, and is now approaching Dubuque. That's the number of cars that are lined up. This is a line of cars over 350 miles long. Hundred and seventy-five cars have gone by, right? You're beginning to feel like any minute now you're going to be safe. Then the, all of a sudden you see the old man says, "It's slowing up." Ding, ding, ding! That damn thing stopped. Hundred and fifty cars went by of a hundred and sixty-two in the train. It stopped. Dead silence. And everything seems to hum. Well, it's not really a dead silence. The train seems to go... And then you hear ding, 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 ding. Then a guy casually walks across the street wearing these... That's why I hate the sight of blue jeans. He's wearing these blue jeans in one of these jazzy-looking engineer's caps. He walks across the street. He's in charge of the world now, see? And he's got this light in his hand or whatever it is that thing he carries, you know? And what a snotty look... He walks across the street casually, smoking away on his corn cob pipe. And of course, by now, the, the, all the cars are going. And thousands of drivers are popping their gizzard. I mean, they're really bucked. And he casually walks across the street, and you hear way down in the distance ding, 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 He's gone. That bippy went towards Omaha at 175 miles an hour, and you're stuck in front of the only train that apparently has busted a transmission or something. Either that or they've all stopped and jumped out and gone to the Vern's Diner. Everybody knows that Vern's Diner is two and a half miles down the track, see, and these guys have all jumped out and run into Vern's Diner to get a bowl of chili. Therefore, leaving their train sitting there, blocking 722 roads, five main arteries, two turnpikes, and causing at least 16 cases of overheating. 142 guys have got high blood pressure. One guy will die of a heart attack, and three women will threaten to leave their husbands because they missed the show again. Ding, 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 ding. You think I love trains? Forget it, friends. Ding, 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 ding. And the old man, see, in the car, it's always cold. This is always winter. This never happens. Always winter. The temperature inside the car now has dropped from, say, uh, 42 degrees, which it was at the beginning of the train. It has now dropped to roughly 5 above. Well, if that's only inside the car. The radiator of the car has gone from roughly 126 degrees and is now approaching 212. <laughs> you know, ding, 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 ding. The guys are getting bugged. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, that sound. You want to hear it? You got the sound of it? Listen to this. Ding, 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 ding. Hear that sound. Oh, that's a hated sound. That's a switch engine. I can tell a switch engine. You know what he's going to do with that thing? That guy's going to back and forth, back and forth, across Kennedy Avenue at least 120 times because he just likes to see guys' eyeballs bug out. And watch him, ching, 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 ching. Watch him slow up. There he goes. There he goes. Here we Now he's going the other way. 
Now he rings the bell, see, just to add insult to injury, see. He's giving you the idea that he's liable to go when he must forget it. He ain't going to go nowhere. You know that guy's been backing up and forth, backing up and forth like that? This is a rare recording. This was recorded, the sound of a switch engine that backed forth and back and forth across Kennedy Avenue in Hammond, Indiana from the year 1957 till late 1969. They worked it in shifts. Listen to that. Back and forth. Listen to that guy. You mean to tell me you find that sound romantic? Sick nut. Get out of the way. Well, just stop that. Hold that there, Herb. I one time saw a man strike a blow. I saw a simple human being. Every man, if you will. Captain Ahab. You name him. Mickey Mouse. He was every man. Donald Duck. He was every man, struggling his way through this veil of tears. He once did it. Thousands of cars are lined up, and the old man's neck is red. Now, you see, my old man's medium was profanity. He, he was one of the most, one of the most gifted uh, swearers I've ever heard. You know, so many people don't know how to use profanity. They use it. Uh, nothing is worse than a girl who has just discovered Betty Friedan. And she's trying out four-letter words for the first time. And she says it so self-consciously. My old man, listen, he was so fantastic with profanity, he worked it with it like clay, like silly putty. And he's sitting in the car this night, his face is fun. And his train keeps going. It's the kind of sound it makes. And then it starts to back up. It has gone 100 and back up arthritically. You hear that? You know that thunder as they come roaring down when the trains back up. You hear all the cars going. That's the sound of a train going backwards. Figure he's going to make it, see, this time. He's going to back all the way into the yards or wherever it is he's backing into. You know, he's, he's forgot his lunch now or something. He's backing all the way up to Goshen, Indiana. See. And now, from our left, you can see the glow of the engine as it's approaching, say. Everybody's watching, hoping. I'm not going to disappoint you, friends. I'm not going to tell you that that engine whirled right on by and the gate went up and we went on. No. This guy was a master sadist. This guy studied under Eichmann. He knew what he was doing. That train rolled, that, that, that engine rolled right up to the edge of the tracks. And everybody's watching. He hangs out of the window. A couple of guys, of course the horns are blowing. He hangs out of the window. This gigantic five million horsepower engine. That's a fantastic engine. I mean, I mean, this thing's got more. Oh, well, I want to tell you, talk about glands. It stands 14 feet high, and it's, you know, it's, it stretches a half a block. Just the engine, see? And it's going... Everybody's watching. And he casually waves out of the window. The guy flashes a light at him. And, you know, they, they look like they're doing some mysterious thing, which is beyond the realm of understanding of ordinary people. 
And uh, you know, there's a lot of flashing of lights and waving. And he starts again this way, going left. Well, forget the show. The show, which started at 7.32, is over, over. And you can just see these cars. Cars have a tendency, you know, when, uh, automobiles, when it's filled with angry people, look angry. No question about it, that, that the car is an extension of man's inner ego. And so there's thousands of cars. Guys are trying to turn around. They can't, you know, they can't turn around in a place because they're all jammed in together, millions of them back there. For miles, you can see lights, and you can see people walking out, looking at guys, looking out. All of a sudden, in the middle of this scene, this train has pulled forward now about 40 more cars, and it's now parked again. A solitary man, unsung, a hero, like most great heroes with no badges, no medals, a PFC, a private first class in the vast army of life, so far down the chain of command that he's not even a little box down at the bottom of the chart. He ain't going to OCS or nothing. A guy jumped out of the car, two cars behind us, with an oath. It was not even a four-letter word oath, just an oath, you know. <laughs> it's the sound of, of inchoate rage. Just <laughs> And he rushed down between the two lines of cars towards the train. And everybody's watching this guy, see? And the train is now standing right across that thing, and it stopped, and a tremendous reefer cars. You know what is it, a reefer? Refrigerator cars and flat cars and tank cars. and The whole thing, this train had must be 500 different cars on it, you know. And it stopped right there in the middle of the... And the lights are on it. You know, the street lights and the, and the red lights are going ding, 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 ding. You know, danger, danger, the big cross. He rushed and he ducked under the gate. Everybody thought, is he going to commit suicide? You know, is it finally too much? And you could just see this guy. He's a little scurrying guy with broad shoulders and sort of a thick waist, but he, he was like Neanderthal. He, there was a touch of the, uh, of, uh, of the primate about him, and he was wearing a long overcoat that looked like it went down to his ankles. You know, a little short, stocky guy with a gray fedora. You, heroes never look like heroes. They, they really don't in, in real cases. Heroes never look like uh, John Wayne or Gary Cooper. They're always very unobtrusive little guys with jowls and kind of gray, you know, faces with uh, with blue with blue beards and stuff. So he he ducks under the under the gate, just completely quickly. He ducks under the gate, and he darts between the two cars that are right smack in the middle of the road. The two cars are sitting there, and of course the thing is just saying, oh, it's a lethal looking train. He darts, he disappears from view. And without, it just seemed like a, like a split second, he's gone in between these two cars. And the old man's looking out of the window. You can see guys all for thousands of miles sticking their heads out of the window. Cars are frosting up and there's ice all over the place. They're looking out of the window. This solitary hero darts between the two cars. He is gone not more than three milliseconds. He darts back out again and he just scurries right down between the lanes of cars and back into his car. He's gone disappears into the vast maw of humanity, anonymous. He just looked at, oh, his car looked like all the others, when suddenly the train starts again. It goes, and everybody saw what he had done. He had unhooked the cars, and 
the train moved to the left, and it left at least 16 millions of its cars behind. He didn't know it. He said, go, 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 go. Off he goes. With that, the cars, hooray, hooray. They started to pour by the millions around the gate. <laughs> hooray, hooray, they're going. Hooray, they're flying. The old man says, there's a man. And they're tooting their horns and yelling and hollering. And that train just rolled out into the night. And I wonder how far they got before they realized they left 12 and a half billion tons of freight. 17 freight cars full of cars, 18 million goats that were in this one car. You can see them looking out. They just went chugging off past Burns Diner and into the night. Oh, don't tell me I love trains. Don't you ever send me any stuff about trains. Train cuckoos are a particular breed of nuts. I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> get away, get away from me, you sick nut. Well, I'll tell you, though, somebody sent me this great pulp magazine, the wild pulp magazine. I know he says he's cleaning out the basement, and he had this pulp magazine called Railroad Magazine. Isn't that great-looking magazine? It's wild. Look at, look at Gary Cooper on the back. That's Gary Cooper. This Gary Cooper says, it's common sense for me to prefer luckies. That's Gary Cooper, a thousand years. That's Gary Cooper. Well, no, he doesn't have a mustache. That's a cigar butt stain on the on the on the magazine you're looking at. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, he sent me this wild old pulp, and I'm, I'm fascinated with this pulp magazine because, first of all, I'm fascinated with the quality of the articles in it. This thing is 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 back. Oh, I don't know what the date is. The date is 1937, and it's, he just said he said I was cleaning out the cleaning out the basement. He says, and I found this thing, and he says I just thought I'd. Send it on, and it's a while. Look, if you want to hear some of the opening lines, listen to the opening line of this. It's uh, such things. It's a pulp magazine, you know, fiction and articles and everything about about trains of the period. And there's a great, there's a great, uh, great piece in here. Listen to this opening line of a short story called Chains, Chains, like you take the word chains, Chains, C H E E dash A I N S, Chains. Author of Hogger's Boy, Blacklisted, Mountain Job, etc. Here's the opening of the of the piece. Give me a little trade music. This is this is railroad pulp story. Listen, there is a wooded hillside overlooking the tracks of the Memphis line where it rounds Jarrett's Bluff and straightens out to cross the bridge over the Little Ozark. Here, sheltered by oak trees whose trunks rise 80 feet into the blue and surrounded by wild blackberry briars which grow to the very door stands a log shanty with a lean-to kitchen. Beneath its sagging, moss-grown roof, a brakeman's widow lived with her only son, Alfred. They tilled the strip of bottom field and carried for, cared for a trackside grave marked Tom Jarrett within the right-of-way, a hundred yards below the spring. This son of hers was a strange boy. The native hill folk called him Bugs. They averred that he had been marked months before he was born. In fact, the night a spring freshet cut out the fill below the house and sent his father's freight train hurling into the swollen river. <laughs> well, that's a great opening, isn't it? Now listen to this one. There's some great stories in here. I mean, I, I don't care about railroads, but man, they, they wrote with a certain... Wait a minute here, I'm going to find this one. Keep that, you just keep that running. Hey, does anybody, does anybody out there know what the heck a boomer is? 
What's a boomer? They have stories in here about boomers. What is a boomer? Does anybody out there know what a boomer is? Hold it there. Hold it there. Hold it there, Herbert. That thing is going to run us over in a minute. Does anybody out there know what a boomer is? I, you know. What is a boomer? What is a hawker? They have stories about hawkers and boomers. And there's another way. I want to get this one here. This, this here is fiction. Overtime. That's a great line, a great name for a story. Yeah, listen, Stacy McCoy, a boomer fireman, grinned as he walked out of the SP yards at Tucson, waved farewell to the crew of the yard switcher, ripped open his final pay envelope. That envelope was better news than the recent dispatches of May 1898, telling of Admiral Dewey's victory in Manila Bay. It meant Stacy knew that when he squared up his tab at the depot beanery and got his laundry from the chinks, he would have exactly $200 in his wallet, which held his B of LF and E card, and a little to spare, a little cash to get home on. Back to Beantown in Boston. <laughs> How's that for, for uh, muscular prose? I mean, these guys... Here's another one. Here, wait a minute. Great opening line. When the... When the way freight engine buckled into the train, the caboose lurched. This is the opening line of Overtime by Clifford Sweet, author of Seniority. How about, how's that for a name of a story? Seniority. What I'd love that at the Union. This is called Overtime. When the way freight, when the way freight engine buckled into the train, the caboose lurched feebly at the end of the dying slack. Inside, Wesley Galleon swayed sideways in his chair, but he did not stop writing. This was going to be one of those days when everything would move along like a penny in a greased slot. It was always that way when you had some of the brass hats along. In his nearly 20 years as conductor on the Oklahoma Midland, Wes had never seen it fail. The caboose teetered on its squeaky bearings as someone swung into the step. A moment later, Hank Withers, the train master, stood framed in the doorway. He drew his watch from his pocket and scowled at the black figures on its dial. 7-10 he muttered, as if this was somebody's fault. What are you waiting on? Wes glanced up, his pencil hovering over the wheel report in front of him. A meet with 46, he replied meekly. They're pulling in town, down there now, in the yard. Hank Withers was a tall, mild-mannered man with an Adam's apple that rose and fell when he talked. Soft was the way other train men alluded to him. At times, yes. A boomer is a railroad man who moves from job to job. <laughs> we just got a call. He's a he's a he's a he's a, a guy that shifts from job to job. Somebody called him. Well, what what then is a hogger? What's a hogger? Like hog, you know, like a hog, hogger. Oh man. You know, someday, someday I'm going to clean out that office of mine, Herb. I think what I'm going to do is do it with a hand grenade. Just stand back and lob one in there, you know. Wait for the pieces to come drifting down.